Welcome to InBeta. I'm Charles Bradley, GBD's Executive Director. In the last few years, online content regulation has gone from being a niche policy area to a core concern for policymakers. It's a fast-moving debate. New laws are being drafted all the time. And platforms are facing constant pressure from many different sides to alter their policies around content. The stakes for human rights are, of course, very high. Our ability to express our freedom of expression is very closely tied to how online platforms are regulated. In this week's episode, I wanted to get a kind of big picture sense of what's happening in the content regulation space right now. What are the key trends and possible trajectories we face? And what can we, as human rights defenders, do to shape them? And to discuss this with me, I'm delighted to welcome Jason Pillemeyer. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Charles. Great to be with you. Fantastic. Um, for our listeners, it'd be great for you to introduce yourself. Gladly. So um, my name is Jason Pillemeyer. I am the policy director at the Global Network Initiative. For those who don't know about GNI, GNI is a multi-stakeholder organization. We bring together technology companies, civil society organizations, including GPD, academics, and investors from around the world to work on issues related to free expression and privacy in the technology and communication space. Uh, and as the policy director, uh, my role is to work with our 65 now member organizations to try and uh, engage with governments all over the world on issues ranging from uh, content regulation to surveillance, network disruptions, issues related to jurisdiction online. Um, so that's, that's who I am and what I do. I uh, will be speaking on this podcast uh, in my personal capacity for the most part, but happy to also talk about GNI's activities if that would be of interest. Absolutely. And we've been uh, great to be sort of friends and colleagues um, over the last few years. Um, and your, uh, your role with, with GPD and supporting us has been excellent. So we're really excited to have you um, on the show. Um, when we were thinking about pulling together a podcast around content moderation, you were obviously one of the first people that came to mind, and it's been a particularly big year um, in the sort of content moderation debate. Um, just in the last month, we've seen sort of France's via law being declared uh, unconstitutional, this new bill introduced in, in New Zealand, and of course, uh, Brazil's Senate passing the controversial fake news bill. Um, at the same time, sort of social media platforms have sort of radically shifted their policies and approaches on hate speech and, and disinformation. Um, we're trying to sort of make sense of this. Like, how should we be interpreting uh, these developments? And what does it actually tell us about the sort of overall trajectory for, for content regulation? Yeah, I mean, besides uh, keeping you and me both quite busy, uh, <laughs> I think that... Uh, I think it's worth taking a step back. I see all of the activity that, that you mentioned, and of course there's more um, that could fill up the rest of this podcast if we wanted to, um, both on the company and the government side as really a continuation of an increasingly interventionist trend um, that has been taking place for at least the last three or four years now, uh, perhaps longer. And so, you know, while it's easy to see each incremental step that, companies or governments are taking as, as small and, and sometimes well, perhaps often they're critiqued as you know relatively unimpactful. I think if you take a step back and look at how much has changed in the last few years, we really have witnessed quite a remarkable shift in how content is governed online. Um, 
And so, you know, if you think back to just even five or six years ago, um, the extent to which platforms had really developed um, content guidelines, terms of service, um, the amount of resources that they put into uh, enforcing those, the degree of, of frankly, literacy and awareness were <clears throat> were at very different levels than, than they are now. And certainly uh, governments were um, much um, more cautious, I think, and, and you know, less focused on this space than they are now. Um, and so, you know, uh, there's been quite a bit of change. Uh, my sense is, notwithstanding that, that this is a trend that will continue, at least into 2020 um, and perhaps beyond. The real question to me at this point, I think, is, is whether we will begin to see any really fundamental paradigm shifts. Uh, which would almost necessarily, I think, need to come from from governments, although um, I'll, I'll caveat that a little bit in a minute. Um, those could come in a number of different forms, um, and I think there are signs that, that some of them may be on the horizon. Um, they can be sudden uh, and disruptive, or uh, they could continue to sort of trickle uh, into, into place in ways that are a little bit harder to perceive. Um, the major possibilities I see include significant changes to the intermediary liability paradigm, which is something you, know, you and I and our organizations have talked mm-hmm. a lot about. Um, but, you know, any move by sort of major jurisdictions um, that currently provide a safe harbor for third-party content um, to to really fundamentally shift that uh, and make platforms responsible for their users' content in a, in a much more direct way, I think would would be a very significant um, change. And, and I think that uh, maybe a few years ago was harder to imagine than it is today. Uh, I don't think it's inevitable, but certainly something that, that we shall be aware of. Um, I think there could also be significant changes to the structure of the platform space. And, and that's most likely to happen in response to um, you know, um, aggressive competition-related moves by governments. Uh, and again, something that I think five or six years ago uh, would have been harder to imagine than it is today. Certainly, uh, there have already been some moves in that direction. Um, but I think if they were to continue and, and to really ramp up, uh, that would be quite quite significant. Um, and the other, I think, change, and these are, of course, not mutually exclusive, that I think we should all be aware of is the increased extrajudicial policing of online speech. Um, so we've started to see this um, in Europe with uh, a couple of different member states, authorities uh, pushing platforms to remove content, not only in their respective jurisdictions, but also uh, to make them inaccessible globally, uh, ostensibly to, to prohibit people from, from sort of using VPNs and other workarounds. Um, but uh, we've also seen kind of more nefarious uh, efforts at uh, policing speech across borders uh, coming from China and the recent national security law in Hong Kong, Mm. uh, as a number of commentators have pointed out, it contains a sort of explicitly extraterritorial provision. Um, And I think if, you know, to the extent that we start to see states, both democratic and authoritarian, um, beginning to flex those muscles uh, and and sort of, um, you know, try and regulate the content space outside of their borders, um, there will be significant conflicts of law and comedy implications for that. And um, I think that's something worth keeping an eye on. 
Um, so, um, you know, just to, to kind of conclude with the caveat that I foreshadowed a second ago, um, while most of the changes uh, that I just um, talked through would, would, pro would probably come from governments, um, in this space, it's important not to discount the possibility of more organic or technologically driven changes to user behavior as well. And so, you know, I think we need to keep our eye uh, sort of closely, uh, not just on the governments, but also on, um, you know, how user behavior and social dynamics are, are changing because those can also have significant impacts. Absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to, to pull back, to come back to was, was one of your earlier points was about the, the amount of development that has happened in, in the last five years in terms of, um, you know, the, the community guidelines, enforcement, the resources that the platforms um, have, have put, put uh, um, together. And um, in a conversation recently with, a, with an ex-MP in the UK, um, it became quite apparent that, you know, some of the people that are looking to legislate on technology um, have sort of lost their first-hand experience of it because of the amount of harm that was um, being, you know, uh, shared uh, on abusive content towards uh, politicians um, sort of uh, previously that many of them are no longer sort of on the platforms themselves but have a historic memory of the platform and, and are looking to legislate and regulate a platform that has obviously evolved and moved on and um, et cetera. Um, and that came to me as like, well, what are we actually, what are they looking for? What is good that they're trying to sort of legislate or, or, or regulate? Are you seeing particular trends in like um, actual behavior on the platform side or user side that they're, they're trying to, um, to, to legislate for? Um, or are they, are they more sort of blanket um, sort of a, a approaches of sort of taking, just taking things down and getting it offline? Yeah, you know, so it's a really good point. And I think often under, underappreciated that, um, you know, um, uh, quite a few of the recent um, initiatives to regulate content online uh, have come from lawmakers motivated by personal experiences that they've had um, on, uh, on, you know, various platforms. Um, and, um, and you make an interesting point that <laughs> to some extent the, those those you know policymakers and lawmakers that they've left the platforms you know, have quickly become perhaps a bit out of tune with what what the platforms now look like. I think the flip side of that, of course, is that um, we have a number of uh, policymakers and, and government officials who um, are using the platforms actively and mm -hmm. uh, and then trying to browbeat them uh, when they attempt to uh, to regulate them uh, their speech or moderate their speech. Um, and so, you know, in general, my, my sort of instinct there is, you know, policymakers and lawmakers really should try to be a bit more objective. Um, it can be difficult, I understand, but, um, you know, trying to really um, understand the typical user's experience, because it is often much, much different than the, the sort of high profile, um, whether they're politicians or, or other celebrities who, you know, have um, mass followings and can um, leverage that in different ways vis-a-vis uh, -vis the platforms. And so that's, you know, why GNI and, and then I think GPD and lots of others in this space often really push for kind of more empiricism um, and, um, you know, sort of strong evidence-based policymaking um, just to make sure that we're not reacting based on a impression that may have been created by a particular incident or, or particular feelings that, that one individual or one 
social group may have at a given moment. Um, so um, in terms of kind of the broader approach to policymaking, um, I, you know, I am, I, I think there are a number of different um, initiatives in motion that uh, are kind of trying to feel out uh, the best way to regulate in particular the platform space. And I think it's, it's really important that we all sort of acknowledge that that is just one part of the larger ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the really important things in addition to evidence-based lawmaking that, that we often uh, try and emphasize is, is you know, that lawmakers really do need to understand the, the ecosystem here um, and, and, and appreciate that while they, you know, the, the drive to regulate may be in response to what's happening in one particular part of that ecosystem, the regulatory impacts, if not sort of carefully circumscribed and designed, uh, can be quite broader and can have knock-on effects that, that may be unanticipated and, and could be, in fact, um, you know, quite detrimental to the the underlying objectives of the regulation or the legislation. Um, so I think, you know, I, as a general matter, um, you know, we, we suggest being a bit more surgical um, and trying to understand you know, what, what the specific concern is um, that, that needs to be addressed uh, and, and then thinking through, you know, what's the most proportionate uh, and necessary way to, to address that uh, on the government end. Um, uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat encouraged by the conversation so far uh, in the context of the Digital Services Act at the EU, which mm-hmm. um, seems to be quite focused on kind of the, um, you know, sort of generating the necessary transparency and uh, procedural due process and accountability that would empower users as well as as lawmakers, frankly, and others um, to really have a better and deeper understanding of the dynamics uh, that are happening on platforms. Um, and I think that kind of, um, you know, uh, providing that kind of um, sort of human rights-based guidance uh, with some degree of, of enforcement um, could go a long way towards um, both sort of cleaning up and, and making people feel better about uh, the platform space specifically and also generating precisely the kind of evidence and, and information that we need collectively to understand how to perhaps further regulate the space, but also you know how to further uh, adjust and accommodate our own behavior um, and, and push for you know, other kinds of changes outside of lawmaking um, that could lead to to better outcomes for everyone. Absolutely. The uh, the big story right now is, of, is of course, um, COVID-19, where uh, time, um, as you've uh, sort of so described, which is beneficial to most lawmaking and process um, development, uh, is, 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 is not very present. We don't have much time in, in, this, in this particular situation. It's obviously radically reshaped sort of many aspects of social, economic and, and political life. I wondered um, how the pandemic was affecting the online content regulation debate. Yeah, so it is the 10,000 pound elephant or gorilla or, you know, pick your large mammal uh, <laughs> in the room. And uh, uh, something that, you know, Edgy and I were, were very focused on, um, I think, you know, the so far, a lot of the conversations, but the ones that we've had and facilitated uh, for our members in GNI and, and the ones that are happening um, more broadly, um, have focused, I think, on two key topics. Um, 
first, you know, what, what data is being shared with governments to aid in their pandemic responses. Um, the second is about the extent to which platforms have increasingly relied on machine learning um, to facilitate content moderation, given that their human moderation operations have, have been somewhat disrupted. Um, and those are both very important conversations, but, you know, even in just the three or four months uh, since the pandemic was declared, um, there have been some significant shifts uh, in terms of the way in which I think um, uh, governments uh, have, you know, uh, approached their pandemic responses and as well as the way that the platforms are um, approaching their, their content moderation. Um, I think it's important to also think about some of the potential longer term implications of the pandemic, mm. uh, which are likely, likely to be more sticky. Um, for instance, it seems that the pandemic has accelerated the move from more static online communications, tweets and posts and videos um, that sort of sit uh, online and at somewhat some degree of permanence and can, uh, of course, um, gain virality um, uh, very quickly um, to more dynamic types of interactions. So, you know, whether that's kind of uh, chats or video conferences, uh, online instruction, telemedicine, et cetera. Um, those latter types of interactions tend to be more private and more narrow, um, mm. and that has a lot of a lot of implications for content moderation and and, and regulation as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, it's not uh, I'm not suggesting that, that tweets and posts and videos are going away anytime soon, but I do think that um, there was perhaps a sense to which many of us bifurcated our sort of you know, IRL uh, communication mm -hmm. uh, and kind of thought of it in, in terms of, you know, uh, interpersonal and sort of ongoing and kind of more um, organic uh, versus the, um, you know, kind of online um, personas that we um, had configured on various platforms to represent either, you know, our personal life, our family, our professional uh, profile, etc. Um, and I think, um, you know, more and more as we begin to rely on digital tools for um, more of that sort of personal uh, uh, kind of communication, as well as professional uh, communication that is that is sort of less posturing and more kind of uh, business, getting business done, um, it, it could have some significant impacts for um, kind of what we end up saying and doing uh, online in, in the in the in the forums that are, um, you know, currently the, the, the locus of attention for, you know, moderation and regulation conversations. Um, I think another potential trend um, to keep an eye on is is whether the pandemic generates kind of renewed public confidence in, in sort of science and technocrats more generally, uh, and even you know, heaven forbid, public authorities and hmm. and media gatekeepers. Um, you know, it's it seems somewhat fanciful to think of. Uh, you know, a uh, kind of rebound in um, confidence in the public authorities and media gatekeepers, because um, that would be so contrary to the trends that we've seen over the last uh, decades. But um, I think that's certainly a possibility. Hard to harder to imagine um, in some places right now than in others. Um, mm -hmm. But over time, um, you know, I think this pandemic is is going to likely cause people to fundamentally rethink um, what they what they expect, what they hope for from um, from public authorities, you know, uh, from the local all the way to the, to the national and international, um, as well as, you know, how people think about the sort of 
um, the ways in which they gather information and the various sources um, that are available to them. Um, so to the extent that that happens, there, there will be really significant trickle-down consequences for the digital content space. Um, and I think they, they could be quite positive, um, obviously you know, uh, hard to predict, but um, those are the, the sort of bigger picture trends that, that I'm trying to, to force myself to, to take a step back and, and keep an eye on as we um, kind of continue to live through this very dynamic and challenging situation. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, just, you know, you look at the New York Times and other sort of media subscriptions over the, over the period and seen huge spikes and obviously a desire for, you know, good and more um, evidence-based sort of journalism at this time and the reliance on, in the UK, sort of the, the BBC as a, as, a, as a reporter of, you know, health information and, and everything else. I think it's been, it's been interesting to see that, um, that development. Yeah. Um, Even just the very sort of uh, <laughs> very basic um, re-education for some of us and, and education for many in the public on, you know, sort of statistics right? yeah. and, and modeling um, that we've all kind of um, been forced to, to go through as, um, as concerned citizens, right? Trying to just figure out what, what is really happening, what does this mean for me and my family and for my day-to-day -day behavior. I think that's, you know, that's, that's something we haven't had to do uh, as, mm -hmm. a, as a population, um, perhaps ever, you know, at this scale. Um, and so it, 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 I think we'll, you know, there'll be some important lessons that people draw out of it and, and behavior will, will shift to some extent. Again, hard to know how, how much that behavior shifts and how much impact that will, will necessarily have. But, but I'm, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just straining to find silver linings, <laughs> but, but I think there could be some encouraging outcomes Absolutely. from that. Yeah, and the other point that you raised, which is uh, is fascinating, is, is around the in you know the the type of interaction that we're having online. I mean, one thing that I've always uh, one thing that we sort of particularly sort of struggled with uh, at GPD has always been the the, the blanket um, sort of uh, notion of the you know the normative framework of international human rights law applying online as it does offline, because there are just so many different ways in which technology um uh, impacts how we share and who we share with etc and permanence has been one of those sort of like critical differentiators between the offline world and the online world um and why certain norms or sort of a, a appreciation of certain values might be different if the thing you said was always there for everyone to see you know in in, in, in indefinitely versus um as you're saying a, a different sort of um sort of in, in interaction uh, with the with the online space, I think that just comes back to, you know, us re, re sort of thinking through some of the frame of the sort of you know international human rights law um, that we've that we've looked at previously and understanding what that means in different uh, sort of technological moments um, uh, as well. Um, I know that the GNI is currently preparing a, a, a to publish a policy brief on content regulation, and human rights in the in the digital age, which looks at that sort of specific question um, around the application of international human rights law. Um, I wonder whether you give our listeners a sense of sort of what the aims and scope of the of the brief are and and, and its key findings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, GNI we um, work actively with our members to try and shape the content regulation space to um, allow companies to do more to protect their users' rights and, and to ensure that the governments that are either seeking 
data from those companies or um, seeking to uh, restrict content on, the, on, on those services and platforms um, are, are doing so in a, in a narrow way, in an accountable way, and ultimately in a way that is consistent with international human rights principles. Um, so we had been, you know, um, tracking an increasing number of legislative and, and other initiatives uh, and scrambling to try and reply to them in turn and uh, made contributions to the UK, online uh, harms, white paper, comment process, um, the you know, various processes in, in places uh, like India and um, Australia, et cetera. And we um, realized that, you know, the, the pace of that kind of, uh, those kinds of initiatives was only going to increase. Uh, so we decided about a year ago to sort of take a step back and look across these various initiatives um, to examine both what was common in some of them as well as what uh, what was different um, and use the international human rights um, framework um, as sort of our lens for um, trying to identify and in some instances critique uh, where we think these approaches uh, are perhaps um, a bit disproportionate uh, or um, might generate un unintended consequences. But also to, to to allow ourselves to be a bit more proactive, frankly, um, kind of acknowledging that look, content regulation is happening, um, and governments, uh, as we talked about earlier, um, sometimes don't have uh, quite as much information as perhaps they need, uh, or or a you know uh, a complete understanding of, of you know the different ways in which these services uh, are used by different by different user bases, um, and so you know we've um, we've gone through this really interesting exercise, kind of as a as a group, as an organization, to um, develop this content regulation policy brief, which we are currently in the in the process of workshopping um, with uh, outside stakeholders, um, including government officials. So we've held now consultations uh, with European uh, Union parliamentarians and representatives from the European Commission uh, and some member states. Uh, in the context of the, the ongoing DSA discussions, uh, we've uh, also held a consultation uh, with similar set of stakeholders in India around the proposed amendments to the intermediary guidelines there. Um, we're hoping to, to have a few more of those kind of targeted consultations, um, which are both opportunities for us to sort of share our preliminary conclusions and recommendations and, and hopefully help shape those, those various initiatives, but also opportunities to hear back from stakeholders outside of the NI, including government officials, about you know how we might uh, improve the the policy brief. Our hope is to kind of have that wrapped up and uh, and finalized in the next few months, and we'll of course uh, disseminate it widely. And ideally, um, it will be a resource for um, policymakers, but also for other stakeholders as as we. Um, you know, take a more interventionist, continue to take a more interventionist approach to content regulation. We do so with human rights really as our foundation, uh, and we continue to protect and enhance uh, the enabling characteristics uh, that mm. that technology, communication technology, has for freedom of expression and for privacy. Absolutely, I think it could be a super important um, contribution to the to the debate. So, thanks for. For, for leading that. Um, in the last few sort of seconds of, of this podcast, um, I wonder whether you had any advice for other sort of human rights defenders who are interested in engaging in the in the uh, content moderation debate. Yeah, so, I mean, 
uh, we need we need a lot of uh, people with human rights background and experience uh, engaged in these conversations, and we need to find ways to um, enhance our voices. Um, but I also want to be humble here and acknowledge that well, while I have worked in the digital rights space for several years now and had the privilege of, of working with and getting to know a number of uh, true frontline human rights defenders, I have not ever been in the position that they are in or face mm. the risks that they face. Uh, so I think the onus is really on those of us in the space that are privileged to have some influence and, and you know, connections related to these issues of content moderation and regulation to, to listen to them, uh, to seek out their voices uh, in a respectful and considered way, um, and uh, to really put put their interests uh, and their use cases and their considerations kind of front and center. Um, that's something GNI has, has really tried to work on. Um, as you know, Charles, we've uh, mm-hmm. had a, a fellowship program now that we've been um, running for a couple of years where we bring um, kind of leading civil society organizations from different regions in the, in the global south to, uh, to uh, enable them to participate more actively in GNI and help shape our work and, and the work of our members, but also uh, to facilitate their interactions with policymakers and kind of bring their voices uh, into these conversations more. So we certainly look forward to, and that's obviously <laughs> something that GPD has been been doing for, for many years now, and we really look forward to continuing to work with, with you and others out there um, to, to bring these uh, human rights considerations really to the forefront of these conversations around content moderation and content regulation. Thanks. Yeah, a very humbling and important reminder to make sure that we are connecting with those um, who are, you know, facing this stuff on on, on the front line and and are, and are working around the world to to deal with the um, this evolving um, landscape, which is ever more challenging to to engage in. Um, Jason, thanks so much for sharing all this wonderful insight and joining us on the show today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Jason. Lots to think about. Well, that's all we've got time for today. The GNI report mentioned in this episode isn't out yet, but we've linked to an article below which touches on some of the research behind it. If you're interested in the online content debate, Jason's Twitter account is a great source of information and analysis. See below for his handle. And you could also sign up to GPD's Digest, which gives detailed updates on online content regulation every month. Until next time, goodbye.